Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. Today I am joined by Luke Stampini, our recruiting guru extraordinaire. And Luke, we have a big, big week coming up. Friday Night Lights is just two days away. By the time most people are listening to this, uh, they'll you know be ready for the event to start. And obviously there's a lot to preview there. Let's jump right into it, Luke. Uh, this is kind of an interesting time of the year based on how the recruiting calendar falls. You know, uh, coaches have had a little bit of time off now after the June camp circuit. Um, but now it's kind of an interesting period in the calendar uh, because you get an open week before fall camp starts and the coaches really get into, you know, the season as it begins. How, how important is this? And, and what's your take on kind of the differences in terms of recruiting right now in this one week period or so? Uh, versus maybe the rest of the recruiting calendar. Yeah, I mean, it makes this this one week in July at the very end very competitive. All these schools across the country are hosting events, and they're trying to get guys on campus. Uh, if you look at it, this is basically two months of a dead period with one week to host recruits on campus smack dab in the middle. And so, you know, everyone's going to try to get that kind of last hurrah in and, and get these guys in before – Fall camp starts their own fall camps and uh, the season gets going and it it makes things tough. You know, like there's a chance they can go, you know, you got the three schools in Florida battling to get kids there. Florida State has their Saturday night lights. Miami opens their fall camp and is trying to get uh, prospects on campus there. Clemson is hosting a barbecue up on, uh, I believe, Friday. Alabama has an event. And so once you have all these big time programs hosting events, you know, it makes it a little bit tough and they start poaching recruits from, uh, you know, different schools. I guess the good thing it does for these schools is it lets you know right away kind of who you you have a really good shot with. You know, if if a prospect picks your school over all these others that they could potentially go to this weekend, I think it lets you know, like, you know, we're, we're in a pretty good standing for for this prospect right now. Well, I think that's interesting too, because when you used to look at this time period, I know when Urban Meyer first kind of brought Friday Night Lights into existence, it was really kind of unique and the first of its kind. And like you said, there's so many other schools hosting these camps now um, that I do think it, it changes the dynamic a little bit. Um, one of the guys that, you know, Florida is expecting to have on campus is running back Kevon Lee, you know, a previous Florida commitment. That's the kind of guy that when you say, you know, the coaches start to have an idea who might really have interest in them, that to me at least is one of those guys that that raises my eyebrow and, you know, maybe is one of those guys you're talking about, maybe you still have a shot with. Yeah, you know, for the longest time after he decommitted back in the spring, it looked like Lee was kind of heading towards maybe LSU or Penn State. Uh, he took an official visit to Penn State. He always downplayed, I, I guess, Florida, how much Florida was really in his recruitment and I just got the feeling that that just could be lip service, to be honest with you. Uh, um, I think he wanted to go through the recruiting process again. He, he committed to UF so early uh, as a sophomore, he committed to UF. And I think he just wanted to take a step back and, and kind of see what was out there and, and you know, see what other schools would recruit him. And for to get him back on campus, I think this will be the first time he's back on campus since he decommitted mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Florida has a need at running back and they've missed on some other targets. And a guy like Lee fits what Dan Mullen wants to do, you know, with offense. He's a big bruising back. He can break tackles. And, um, you know, I think this visit will be huge for Florida moving forward and be able to land one of those top four star prospects like Lee and, and you know, get a good trip and uh, 
get a good experience in Gainesville this weekend, and I think the Florida's are right, uh, you know Florida Gators are right back in it. Well, he's one of those guys that can kind of change the perception, I think, too. I mean, you talked about some of the misses Florida's had in recent classes, you know, the Trey Sanders, Demarcus Bowman, although, you know, he's obviously not signed yet. I mean, to me, it sounds like Lee's one of those types that can change the narrative, no? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think everyone kind of has three or four top running backs in the state of Florida this cycle. And, you know, Demarcus Bowman, you mentioned five-star out of Lakeland committed to Clemson is one. I, I think – Kevon Lee is in that group, you know, as a top player. He's a top 100 recruit right now, um, you know, and, and you start landing guys like that, and, and you're right. It starts changing the perception. Uh, Florida is, is starting to get guys from in-state, you know, and fending off some of these out-of-state schools. I'm curious to see, too, this year, uh, Florida has a unique schedule, not only in, uh, in terms of when Friday Night Lights falls, but fall camp opening. I think it's actually going to be a real positive for the Florida staff being able to get on the practice field earlier that day. They'll have you know current players around the program. I think it'll be interesting. I think this staff is pretty good once they get guys on campus at selling their vision and and kind of getting guys in the fold. Um, so you know those elite prospects, the more they can get them on campus and get that going, I think that helps. One guy I know you uh, you saw up at the opening finals, uh, Marcus Dummerville, a four-star offensive tackle. He's one of those types. Uh, what's the latest going on with him? Yeah, his recruitment just feels rather wide open, to be honest with you. I know he's taken official visits to LSU and Oklahoma already, but it just feels like no one has really taken control of that recruitment and you know has Dumerville leaning their way. Um, Florida has tried to get him on campus in the past, and just you know timing, scheduling, things have fallen through, and he hasn't been able to get get up on campus. But this will be. Um, you know, this weekend he's going to be up for a couple days meeting with the staff. And I think this is an opportunity for Florida to make a huge move in this recruitment, to be honest with you. Uh, Florida has a huge need at offensive tackle. And um, he's a guy that is developing as an offensive tackle. And like you said, had a great performance at the opening finals and and seems like a guy that could step in and be a high level offensive tackle in the SEC. Um, you know, I, another thing working in Florida's favor in this recruitment is uh, – Dumerville's teammate at St. Thomas Aquinas down there in Fort Lauderdale is Derek Wingo, who mm-hmm. um, recruit Florida fans will know, flipped to Florida this summer. And and Wingo's a very personal guy. He's very outgoing, and he's not bashful about recruiting for the team that he's committed to. And uh, he kind of hit the ground running as soon as he flipped to Florida from Penn State. He started recruiting all these other uh, prospects, trying to get them to join him uh, in Gainesville. And, and Dumerville's one of those guys. And to constantly have someone like Wingo in Dumerville's ear after this visit to Florida, you know, it can only help them. Uh, probably a team to maybe watch uh, that you that you know maybe people don't realize uh, have as good a shot as they do is Louisville. Um, you know, Dumerville. That probably uh, football fans probably know that name. Uh, Marcus Dumerville is related to Elvis Dumerville, who was a, a stud pass rusher for Louisville a decade or so ago. Uh, and and so that connection has Louisville in the mix, but you know a, a good visit to Florida, you know, kind of like Kevon Lee. It's the same story. Like uh, Florida has a good shot to really become a serious factor for Dumerville this weekend. Well, and I think the other thing about you know a guy like Dumerville is if you can get multiple guys from St. Thomas in the in the pipeline in one class, you really start to open that that connection where those guys then end up recruiting the guys that they played with who are maybe juniors or even sophomores in high school. And that's a place where traditionally when Florida has been very strong, they're getting a lot of guys from STA. Uh, and then I think you look at the roster that Florida has right now. Um, tackles, obviously a big position in need 
for this team right now. Um, and then you look at Stone Forth, Stone Forsyth only has two years of eligibility left. They've got to start getting some of those elite types like Doomerville on campus so they can begin developing with John Hevesy and Nick Savage because the Gators are going to need them in a big way in 2020 and 2021. Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, getting in there at St. Thomas Aquinas and, and how that kind of helps you. Even Trayvon Grimes, who originally signed with Ohio State and transferred to, yeah. to Florida, a lot of those St. Thomas Aquinas kids mention bring up Grimes and, and say, you know, how much he likes it at UF and, and that resonates with them. Great point. Luke, we've uh, we've talked about two of the uh, you know obviously the guys that Florida fans will be keeping a close eye on and we'll we'll do a lot of reporting on during the event. Um, one question that everybody always wants to know about Friday Night Lights: Who's going to be the surprise visitor? You know, who are they going to try to sneak in the back door? Uh, you know, maybe keep the recruitment a little hush hush, or maybe not. But guys that just maybe aren't expected right now to show up on campus, and then all of a sudden Friday everybody's buzzing because this guy showed up. Yeah, it seems like every year someone that we don't really expect or isn't really on the radar kind of pops up and and whether that's just a last minute trip that they set up or, you know, Florida uh, or the recruit themselves kind of keep it under the radar and keep it hush hush. Um, So someone probably will show up. We just got to figure out who, you know, we'll be there all day trying to, you know, seeing these recruits as they arrive and whatnot. But I think a couple of people to watch out for is four-star offense tackle Isaiah Walker, recently just decommitted from South Carolina, has given Florida, Miami, Florida State a, a strong look. Those three are probably the ones that are top of his recruitment right now. And Walker's being a little bit coy right now and, and teasing uh, a visit somewhere, but he won't say where, just saying <laughs> that uh, he's going to pop up somewhere I on campus. That. Yeah, and, and, you know, Florida and Florida State and Miami, they're all trying to get him on campus and and – you know, that's kind of, we talked about this earlier, where Walker shows up could be a little bit of an indication of who who's in the driver's seat right now uh, for his recruitment. Now, he is a Miami kid, so the easiest trip would be to go down to Coral Gables for, uh, you know, their fall camp. But, you know, we'll see, see where he pops up this weekend. Uh, another prospect that's getting some buzz is four-star defensive tackles Tim Smith, who recently just committed to Alabama not that long ago. And, you know, there's some talk that he may actually visit Florida. He's visited Florida a ton, actually. Um, so that, that's a, an interesting one, I guess, just because it's so close to when he did commit to Alabama, uh, you know, not long after that. You know, we'll see if he shows up. He's been to Florida a lot, you know, and, and Florida does have a need on defensive tackle. So we'll, we'll see kind of what falls do you think the fact that Florida already has a couple big uh, defensive tackle commits in the fold affects that recruitment at all? You know, with Smith, he just always seemed like he wanted to leave the state of Florida, um, just for whatever reason. Originally, it was Clemson, and uh, then it was Alabama and Georgia, and Alabama got him to camp this summer, like what they saw, and gave him the green light, and you know he he jumped on it. I I don't know if the depth that Florida has, because they do have some talented defensive tackles committed, even though they could still add some more. Um, you know, I don't know if that that factors much into it or not. Yeah, because I'm looking at it on paper. I mean, you look at Gervon Dexter, Johnny Brown, Lamar Goods. I mean, Florida's got some pretty good elite interior defensive guys. I mean. You had a guy like Tim Smith to the fold. All of a sudden, I think you're talking about this as maybe one of the best kind of interior D-line classes Florida's had in a long time. And, I mean, no doubt Florida needs it. They've got the majority of their defensive tackles right now are upperclassmen. Absolutely. And, it, it, like, Florida needs to sign a deep defensive line class. And adding another guy like Tim Smith, you know, isn't 
completely out of the realm of possibilities, I don't think. Well, we've talked mostly so far about, um, you know, guys that would fit some immediate needs for Florida. I think when you're looking at Friday Night Lights, while it's a, a helpful event to land some of those guys, I think more what you've seen over the last couple of years in particular, as, as we talked about earlier, more schools adding these types of camps in this, you know, this one week window is that staffs are really using it in a lot of ways to evaluate some elite underclassmen as well. Um, Luke, from what you know so far, who are some of the top 2021 targets and, and maybe some of the top younger guys that UF expects to be on campus? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, over the years, this thing has really produced, uh, you know, some uh, some top level underclassmen. And, and I know recruitniks want to focus on the rising juniors. Um, but this this camp has kind of shifted towards that next class and and you get some big time ballers. Uh, they may not be household names right now. Uh, but but you're able to get some ballers on campus uh, during this Friday Night Lights. And, and I think you have to start at Palmetto High School down there in Miami. It's absolutely loaded with 2021 prospects. And the, the probably the, the big prize out of there is defensive tackle Leonard Taylor. Uh, he had a huge spring, it picked up a bunch of offers during his spring, uh, you know, spring practices down there at Palmetto. He's a he's a guy, honestly, like I, I compare him to the Boses that kind of rolled through St. Thomas Aquinas a couple years ago where he can be a guy that plays on the outside. He can be he can shift down and, and you know, on passing downs, maybe uh, on the inside of the interior of the defensive line. Just a big, very technically sound uh, athletic prospect that has a world of potential. And and Florida's been able to get him on campus numerous times and. You know, it looked like he would probably give a commitment, an early commitment to Miami for whatever that's worth for these underclassmen. Uh, but Florida continues to get them on campus, and and I think they're in a, a decent shot. And you know, I fully expect this recruitment to have all the big boys with Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and all of them uh, uh, coming after him as we turn to the 2021 cycle. And so Florida be able to get them on campus numerous times. You know, that's a, that's a good start, good foundation. Teammate, uh, cornerback, Corey Collier and Jason Marshall are two other guys that, that are visiting with him. And those are high-level uh, cornerbacks. I think especially Jason Marshall. I think he's a five-star potential prospect. You, like You just see him, and you've looked at some of the past cornerbacks that have come out of the state of Florida that have been highly talented and, and uh, you know gone on to the NFL, and he fits that mold. Uh, good size, good length, uh, athletic, just a guy that um, – you know, looks like, like I said, five-star potential. And to be honest with you right now, he's he's talking up the Gators and uh, he really likes Florida. And I think it's that DBU tradition that they've they've had over the years. And so Florida's in a great position for him. Now, Collier, his father played at FSU. That could be a little bit tougher battle uh, given that legacy there. Another guy that, that Florida is bringing in is another guy that potentially could be a five-star is two-way athlete Xavier Sori out of the panhandle. Guy that could be a safety, wide receiver, not real sure, just a big athletic, uh, you know, prospect. Uh, his film is amazing at safety. I, I personally think he could be a big-time safety. But, again, Florida State and Alabama, Clemson, they're all making a run at, at him, and, and Florida's supposed to have him on campus as well. Uh, another is five-star defensive end, Dylan Brooks. Now, 
Brooks is an in-state kid. This is the one. Uh, he's from Alabama. So this could be a little bit tricky, but it's good that Florida is getting them on campus. You know, Alabama obviously is recruiting them. Auburn's after him. Uh, Clemson's recruiting them as well. And so while this may be a long shot for Florida, uh, just given the fact that he is from the state of Alabama and that Alabama wants him and the Crimson Tide usually don't lose on uh, in-state guys that they want, it's you know it's a good sign that, that Florida is getting uh, elite talent like him on campus. All right, Luke, anything else that we should know about Friday Night Lights before we kind of transition into uh, a little bit of a fall camp preview? No, you know, stay on Swamp247.com this Friday. We're going to have, you know, wall-to-wall coverage. That that coverage starts early in the morning, runs late into the night, on into Saturday. And, uh, you know, we'll be right back for more on the Swamp 24-7 podcast after this break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. This is Luke Stampini. Talking with Thomas Goldcamp as the Florida Gators open fall camp on Saturday. I guess, first of all, just kind of what you're feeling. The, the talking season's ending, and, and we're about to get a little bit of football. What's your feeling right now as we make this little transition into fall camp? Well, I think this year is different for Florida fans in a lot of ways. You know, just just judging by my Twitter timeline and all the mentions about, oh, no, this player's the best or this player's the best. I think Florida's got as deep a skill position group as it's had in a long time. You know, basically everybody back uh, from the offensive backfield. You do lose Jordan Scarlett, but I think LaMichael Pirine maybe offers even more in some different ways as a pass catcher. Uh, you've got a you know four veteran senior receivers back plus Trayvon Grimes and Kadarius Tony. You got decent tight ends. I, I think the real question mark is you know what is that ceiling for this offense? And I think a lot of that will boil down to the offensive line. But I can tell you for a fact, fans are excited to see kind of how this, you know, plays out. And we're only two days away from fall camp. Uh, finally, we get to see these guys back in action. We get to see if Kadarius Tony takes that next step. Um, you know, I think the, the question mark, obviously, is the offensive line. But I'm just glad that we're finally getting to the point where we're going to start to answer some of those questions. I asked the offensive line, what is your biggest concern? I know there's there's just not a ton of experience there, but what is it specifically from what you saw in the spring 
is your kind of concern and what do you want to see this fall camp from that group? Well, to me, I struggle a little bit because I think you compare to last season and it's easy to, it's easy to look at the group that took the field at the end of the year last year and not remember that they had some deficiencies early in the year and Florida's coaches were able to scheme around them. Um, so I think when you look at the guys that are expected to be in the starting lineup, you've got four guys that are upperclassmen, redshirt juniors or redshirt seniors. So that's a lot of experience. And typically, I think those guys are able to pick up things pretty quickly. The drawback, obviously, is they haven't played a lot of live snaps. Um, but I think when you've been around a college program that long, what happens is once you start getting in those game scenarios, those guys tend to pick up the mistakes that they're making in the film room a lot quicker. Um, and so I think the growth curve for this group will be pretty quick. The question is, you know, how how much is the depth tested? Um, you know, if, if the depth is not tested a whole lot, I look at games like Mississippi State last year where this was before Florida's offensive line really turned into a great unit. And Dan Mullen and, and, you know, Brian Johnson and Billy Gonzalez were able to craft up the kind of game plan where they really minimi- minimized the impact that offensive line had on the game. Because you look at what Mississippi State had in that game, and you're talking about Jeffrey Sw- Simmons and Montez Sweat. I mean, they were creating some serious pressure, and yet Florida was able to scheme around the offensive line enough to, to have some creative stuff, like, you know, a receiver screen to Kadarius Toney that ends up in a touchdown pass to Morrill Stevens. I think they've got Florida has all the pieces on offense to do that same kind of thing again. I think there's enough creativity that you can put in the playbook when you have a guy like Kadarius Tony, um, when you've got a versatile running back like Michael Pirine. So I think that Florida staff will be able to take a lot of the pressure off of the offensive line. The real question mark is how quickly do they develop into the kind of unit that we saw at the end of the year last year and whether or not they have any injuries, because I think injuries to this group would be pretty detrimental. But if they don't have them, I think the ceiling for this offense is maybe higher than a lot of national pundits even realize. Yeah, you mentioned scheming. And, and the thing with Mullen is he's really good at that quick passing game and, and mm-hmm. you know, getting Franks in a rhythm and, and just kind of keeping the defenses off balance a little bit with just his play calling. And so, you know, like you said, like I think Mullen can, can scheme around uh, maybe an offensive line that you have some question marks about. You mentioned the ceiling of this offense – we got we can't talk about the ceiling of this offense without talking about Felipe Franks. Obviously, he you know improved throughout the season last year. What are your thoughts or expectations for him heading into year two with Mullen? Well, I think they're a lot higher than they were last year. That's for sure. Um, you know, last year fans were ready to write him off and move on to the next guy, and I don't think there's anybody. Well, okay, I shouldn't say anybody. There's somebody out there that still believes Felipe Franks should be benched. Uh, that's any fan base, but um, but I think that. Not only do most fans now have confidence in him, I think the team has confidence in him. And one of the things, talking about the O-line early in the year last year, I think they didn't have the ability to rely on Felipe Franks as a runner. And so, you know, that's some, that's a crutch that this offensive line this year won't have. I think Felipe Franks knows what he can bring to the table now as a runner. Now, he may not have quite the same space that he had in those last four games last year early on, but I think that... That, in a lot of ways, is going to really open up the offense and allow for some more creativity. But for me, I think the I think the ceiling for Franks is extremely high. I mean, you look at the numbers. I'm a numbers guy. It's hard to argue the numbers he put up last year and look at that and say, this guy's not a pretty pretty good quarterback. And then when you look at the playmakers around him, uh, I, I think that this Florida staff is going to be able to turn Felipe Franks into a guy that we're talking about in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. 
Yeah, I think the one thing that he needs to improve on and, and would really open the offense up is just his deep throws, his down the field passing. Sometimes, sure. you know, sometimes he would, you know, miss some guys. And if he could just hit those throws a little bit more consistently, I think, like you said, this offense could could really do some damage. Flipping to the defensive side of the ball, you know, they, they lost a few guys, edge rushers, uh, Chauncey Gardner at safety and Ja'Kai Plyde at, at on the defensive line and CC Jefferson and whatnot. I guess how will things be different this year defensively for Florida? Well, I'm not sure. And I think that's part of what makes it so interesting. You know, I look across the board and I've said this a couple times on our podcast. I think across the board, the athleticism is better. And I think that the depth of the talent on this unit is better. Um, what I don't know is if they're going to have the type of disruptors um, that we saw last year. You know, Ja'Kai Polite was a guy that, for for whatever shortfalls he had against the run, he was a guy you could absolutely always count on to create havoc in the backfield when you put him on the pass rush. I don't know that Florida has a guy like that. You know, Jabari Zaniga obviously is a guy that I think Florida would like to become that guy, but I don't know that he's on that same level. And so, for for me, the real question is, does the the balance equal out between what Florida may lose on the pass rush and what Florida gains on the back end when you add a guy like Marco Wilson back. Um, I think that those will roughly balance out. And so I think the potential for Florida's defense is probably higher across the board because I like the linebackers a little bit better this year. Um, I think the depth at defensive tackle especially should continue to emerge. Um, But I don't have a good pulse on, you know, which side of the tug of war kind of wins out when it comes to what I expect to be a little bit less of a great pass rush but probably a little bit better in the secondary. How worried are you about Florida's safeties and, and what they have back there? Uh, that you know They got Marco back, like you said. I think the cornerbacks, at least the starting cornerbacks, will be fine. I guess the, the question, though, Florida in Florida's secondary is the safeties. What are you feeling there? Well, for one, I, you know, I really I think Brad Stewart has to be, get to a place where the coaches trust him, uh, be it on the field, off the field where he can stay on the field every game and you can count on him because when you can't rely on a guy like that, it's hard to plan on him being there. And to my mind, there is no doubt that he's the most elite athlete in the back end there for Florida. We saw it all spring, man. He was a monster. Um, And not only that, but he brought the kind of personality where he was, you know, if Felipe Franks dropped his shoulder unfairly on him one play in the spring, Stewart was going to pop him right back. And that's the kind of attitude I think you want to see on a typical Florida defense but if he can't stay on the field, that becomes a real concern. Um, the other guys, you know, I've said this for a while, they all do something well. You know, Sean Davis is a guy that can come up and make a huge hit almost every time, can jar the ball loose. But I think he gets a little bit lost when you ask him, you know, to, to drop back in coverage and play some of the pattern match scheme. Uh, Jawan Taylor, he's great in the box for the most part, you know, after he shored that part of his game up last year. But he's another guy that, you know, you don't trust him quite as much in the back end. Donovan Steiner, I think, is the guy that has, you know, the, the best football IQ of the group, and it's why he started 11 of the 13 games last year. But he really struggles coming up and breaking down, you know, when he's in the open field. So, to me, Stewart's the only truly elite guy right there. I, I do wonder if Florida at some point might move John Huggins back from nickel back to safety. Um, but, yeah, I have concerns. I mean, that's the one spot where I think um, – having the cornerbacks is going to be a a huge difference maker because you're going to be able to put those guys on an island more and maybe stress your safeties a little bit less because I'm still not, I'm not, I'm just not entirely sold on that group. Florida's open uh, week zero game versus Miami. 
if Florida can get through that game with a win, you know, how does that schedule set up for the Gators moving forward? Uh, I think it's huge. You know, there's been a lot of years um, where you look at that opening game, and you, I always hate to put too much pressure on one game because it is the first week of the season, and you can always bounce back from a loss. But, you know, 2017, when, when Florida opened against Michigan, they were all hyped up coming off a, a 10-win year in Jim McElwain's first year and then a repeat trip to Atlanta, and you go and you get – an unexpected result against Michigan uh, where obviously they were blown out. They were shown to be pretenders and it affected the entire rest of the year. I, I think that I'm safe in saying that Florida is a big favorite against Miami. You look at the Vegas line, you look at what Florida players are saying, Florida fans, you can't have a setback in that game. On the flip side, if you go out and you look confident, that offensive line looks better than maybe people expect. You come out with a nice comfortable win. You start looking at that Florida schedule. You got UT Martin, you got Kentucky, Tennessee, Towson. I mean, this could very easily be a 5-0 and Florida team coming into a game against Auburn where who knows where Auburn's at at that point in the season. I, I think, I've said it a couple times, I think the ceiling for this Florida team is higher uh, than maybe people want to admit, but I think that Miami game is extremely important, and that makes fall camp so interesting because these, these question marks that we're talking about, the O-line, the safety play, um, whether or not Florida can have an elite pass rusher emerge, those are so much more important this year than most years. You went through it with Michigan back in 2017. Does it change the mentality of camp when you have a marquee uh, game that week one instead of the normal cupcake game? It absolutely does. And I think that's where that that game one, you know, as unfair as that may be, the win or the loss matters that much more. Because when the players are that dialed into fall camp, um, all the way through for a month. There's just so much built-up energy and, and emotion and excitement that if you do have a setback, it hurts more than just you're, you know losing a game to even a Kentucky in week two or you know Tennessee down the road in week four. You know what I mean? Like that. There's a different psyche that goes into the season when you're starting with a team like this, particularly when you're coming off a better than expected year like Florida did last year. Um, the, the one thing I'll say is I do remember in the lead up to the Michigan game, just everything felt bigger. Um, and so when Florida would have a practice uh, coming off of a bad practice, there was an added sense of urgency. And you could sense that when you're out there at practice, you could sense that the guys were frustrated that they let one of those practices slip away. And I think especially with this team, as much work as they put in, um, that's the one thing that really struck me with Dan Mullen last year is they were very good at rebounding from poor practices and I think it adds just um, an extra edge to fall camp that, for me, will be really interesting to follow You know, in the next month as we report on all these practices and how the team's doing. To me, that's what makes it fun. Um, you know, Rather than just this kind of build-up where, yeah, we're going through fall camp, but we have two cupcakes, fans get into it from day one. And at every single, you know, every single practice update, people are hanging on those updates. And, and it just you can tell college football is close. Do you have a, a prediction for that game? I think... You know, like I said, I think I think Florida's in trouble if they have injuries to the starters on the offensive line. And so I think going into the Miami game, for now, assuming everyone's healthy, I think Florida will be able to scheme up enough to take advantage. Um, there's not as many pieces for Florida to replace defensively. Uh, I think that they'll be able to slow Miami down. I, I would expect Florida to win by probably two scores right now. Oh, wow. I, I said yeah. over 10. I said over 10. I don't think I went high enough as, as two touchdowns. That's, um, that's where I'm leaning. 
Okay. All right. For some reason, the line's gone down. Uh, I think it opened at eight Florida by eight and a half. And I want to say someone sent me a, a link that may have showed it was down to six, six and a half. So it's interesting, uh, you know, to watch as, as this game nears. Well, you know, Florida always has uh, those game one suspensions every year. They're, they're most likely going to come up. So maybe that was what triggered the line moving down. Who knows? But uh, I can tell you, I'm excited to, to get out there on Friday early in the morning, uh, fall camp, man, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Stay on swamp 247com We'll have updates throughout the day. Thomas will have updates throughout fall camp. Uh, subscribe to us, give us five stars on all your podcast listening, uh, options, and we'll be back later for more on the Florida Gators.